Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. It's one minute past nine. You're tuned to 102.7 3 R. Going in a little bit early today because we've got such a big show for you. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Fom. And I'm the Kevin Boy. Hey, welcome. Welcome to you both. Thank you. On this beautiful autumn day. Oh, so excited to be able to sleep at night again because it's cool. (laughs) And just to say the word autumnal. Yeah. I love that word. It's autumnal. Word. autumnal. It sounds fancy. Yes, it does. Hey, thank you very much, Tim Thorpe, for a, uh, a wonderful weekend of Vital Bits. Thank you, Andrew, ever so much for Soulful Bits. You can catch Tim and Andrew next weekend back for more Vital Bits, 6 a.m. Saturday morning and Sunday morning as well. We're so lucky, so fortunate. Massive show, as uh, I mentioned, and uh, very shortly in studio, we're going to be joined in studio by Rob Lorenzen and Spike. (laughs) I can't believe we have a real surf champion amongst us this morning. (laughs) Of the four-legged variety. This is the first surf champion we've had in the studio since Wayne Lynch. Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) Exactly. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, um, Rob uh, has been a real feature of Radio Marinara so far for 2022 reached out to us um, last year and has been actually over the last couple of years sending us photos of him and Spike uh, on their boards, on their stand-up paddle. Well, not stand-up paddle. Yeah, stand-up paddle no, boards. surfboards as well. Surfboards, mm. yeah, 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 surfing. Yeah. And um, they've just returned from uh, Noosa where they've been competing in the National Dog Surfing Championships. So um, Rob has come in with Spike. We're so excited. So we'll have them in the studio shortly. I'm totally starstruck by Spike. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's so handsome. And he's so cool and laid back, isn't I he? Know. He hits that triple. <laughs> Well, classic surfer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We are then uh, going to be playing uh, an interview that I did on Friday with Lena and Woodley, and they are—they've got an amazing show (laughs) ready to go for the 2022 International Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Their take on Moby Dick. (laughs) <laughs> and so we had a great chat on Friday uh, about Moby Dick and their approach to it and um, it's it's one of those interviews that I tried to edit and I couldn't because it was just too much fun. So um, <laughs> it's kind of longish. It goes for about 20 minutes, so I'll just tell you that um, up front. And you, it, get, get yourself a, a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, sit down and, um, and be ready to uh, be entertained um, because they were just wonderful and so generous and so funny and I'm really looking forward to playing that for Did everyone. you actually? Did you actually get a question in? <laughs> I think I said, why Moby Dick? And that was it. 20 minutes later, we were finished. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, and uh, then to close the show, Brett. Well, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. If, we, if we have time. <laughs> Champion surfers, Moby Dick, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, oligarchs. Um, you've seen in the news about the um, a lot of their big super yachts getting arrested and that. So we'll, I'll have a look at that, the, the, well, just the ships that they're sailing around the world and how they are being arrested. So, yeah, and I just like the word oligarch. Yeah. I see it written, it scares me to pronounce it, but then when you say it, it just rolls off the tongue. Oligarch. You really like the fancy words, don't you? I do. I'm on, Autumnal I'm, oligarch. I'm, I'm, I'm words today, yeah. It sounds, so. like a, it sounds like a type of marine invertebrate. Oligarch. It's an amazing oligarch on my dive yesterday. Well, they are parasites, so yes. <laughs> 
Um, and farm, we've got some news, but firstly, let's go to a weather forecast for the day. The weather forecast is the express version today. Uh, we have a top of top of 28 degrees and sunny in Melbourne. Um, we've got some areas of smoke haze about the Dandenongs um, during this afternoon and the evening. And the winds are northerly 20 to 30 k's an hour, becoming light in the afternoon. And then they're becoming north to northeasterly in the late evening. Uh, for tides at the Port Phillip Heads, next low tide is at 12.59 p.m. today. And the next high tide will be 8.14 p.m. And if you want to go for a snorkel north of the bay, uh, Bomoris, the next high tide will be at 9.32 a.m. and the next low at 4.42 p.m. Have you been out lately? Yes, I was urchin culling with uh, Parks Victoria and uh, Ricketts Point Marine Care last week and I'll be going again next week. And uh, yeah, we should definitely get these guys on air because it's really interesting what's happening there. Yeah, we've been talking about that one for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I agree. Good to, we'll, we'll definitely catch up with yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So I mentioned you had um, some news to bring us absolutely so quick plug for plastic oceans australasia's ocean in oceans in motions is a uh, film competition and it runs from march until november 2022 and it is open to australian and new zealand primary secondary and tertiary institutions and for the first time also to the boating community so the idea is that they are inviting students and people from the boating community to create a short film about that plastic waste journey at their school or university and uh, also for the boating enthusiasts on their boats and when you send that in you can win some fabulous prizes so get creative um, if you're going out on the bay today and uh, there's something you're doing around plastic pollution minimization um, yeah make a film about it send it in oceansinmotion.org.au cool Um, so okay Good news first or the bad news first? Uh, bad news. Bad yeah, news. go bad news. <laughs> Always bad news. Mm. All right, here we go. Strap yourselves in. So you've probably already seen this all over the media this week that the Great Barrier Reef is once again undergoing a huge coral bleaching event at the moment. Um, the, marine, the Marine Park Authority is waiting until its aerial surveys are completed before it can actually compare this bleaching event to all the other ones in, you know, 98, 2002, 2016, 17 and 20 as well. Um, but this is the first time there's been widespread bleaching like this during a La Nina weather pattern. Mm. So it's supposed to be, you know, the resting time and the time for corals to recover after El Nino events, which is warm and sunny. And La Nina is supposed to be rainy, cooler and overcast. Um, So this is very, very strange. Uh, So the scientists had hoped that, you know, La Nina would be a chance for the corals to grow and spawn and multiply and recover. Uh, but now they're worried what could be in store for the next El Nino event, really, uh, which could happen within the next couple of years. And this comes at a time where uh, the experts from UNESCO and IUCN are in Australia to assess the condition of the reef and provide a report for the scheduled meeting on the 21 Country World Heritage Committee in June because they want to get it on the list of um, endangered world heritage. Yeah, That's so not there good. we go. So let's go from one side of the country with bad news to the other side of the country with good news. Yes, <laughs> let's do that. So there are two new marine parks established in uh, Christmas Island and the Cocos Keeling Islands in the Indian Ocean. And together they cover about 744,000 square kilometres. Now this is the size of a marine park like that. You don't 
this is very rare that a marine park of this size gets established. Um, the federal government confirmed this after months of consultation with local people uh, and a 5.4 million commitment that they made earlier. Um, so the Cocos or Keeling Islands pristine environment is encircled by just beautiful turquoise lagoons, lots of endemic species, nowhere else in the world you can see what you see there. And Christmas Island is actually the tip of a 5,000 meter submarine volcano. Oh, wow. So they're really amazing um, uh, really amazing ecosystems and the waters are also critical areas for spawning of bluefin tuna which have been targeted uh, of Ill illegal international mm. fisheries as well and they're working with the local community so local communities who depend on the fisheries can yep. still fish and do their sustainable harvesting and things like that but it will be protected in, uh, f until really far offshore Awesome farm Amazing <laughs> Thank you Yeah, it's very exciting <laughs> stuff <laughs> Estamos Escuchando Radio Marinada en 3 R. Oh yeah, Triple R is where you are, where the time is 9.13. And uh, look, a couple of weeks ago we caught up with Rob Lorenzen to talk about his National Surfing Champion Dog Spike and the publication of their adventures in a brand new book called Spike Surfs with 50% of profits being donated to the Lost Dogs Home. At the time, Rob and Spike were about to head off on a road trip to compete in the 2022 National Dog Surfing Championships in Noosa and now they're back. So let's find out about how it all went. The dogs surfing scene and who took out the honours this year by welcoming back into Triple R. This time in person, we're so excited. Rob Lorenzen, good morning, Rob. Good morning. How are you, Brian? Oh, we're well. <laughs> we are so excited to have you here. And you've got Spike here as well. Spike's here. Look, he's he's loving it here in the submarine. He he's, loves it. he's just looking up at you adoringly. We'll, we're going to take lots of photos and, uh, and splash them all over our Facebook page. Um, before we get into it, I happened to stumble across you speaking on 774 <laughs> a week or so ago. Now, I didn't realise you were a presenter on Shell's Neighbourhood. Oh, God. You were digging the dirt there. Busted. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, and it was exciting. I would do nature segments. I worked as a, a ranger with the National Park Service at the time and um, I had the pleasure of being able to do the nature segments, bringing critters into the into the uh, little cubby house. Um, ah. You know, penguins and wombats and all sorts of stuff. Exciting times. They were really creative, great people. It was just a pleasure and I learned a lot. It was great. Thank if, you. If you're wondering, if you're listening, wondering what Shell's Neighbourhood was, it was, <laughs> um, it was a wonderful kids program um, back in the, the late 70s, um, early 80s with Shirley Strawn who, Shirley from Strawn. Skyhooks who presented it, but with Norm the Kangaroo and oh, I can't remember all the other yeah, characters. Yeah, um, Old Poss. Yes, um, there was a the Claude the Crow, all fantastic. Um, Greenfinger was there a Greenfinger, the gardener. Yeah, um, it was just wonderful. Lots of local talent, really highlighted local bands and music and creativity. Just wonderful show. Yeah, it was yeah. so good. All like right, let's. <laughs> oh, um, now let's get into it. You've been up to Noosa. You've come back. How were the dog surfing championships? It was an adventure. Um, there were floods up there. It was yeah, uh, it was a challenge getting there. And the poor people up there. And I think they're copping rain up there today yeah. as well, which is really sad. Um, so it was an adventure getting there. It was three long days driving. Mm. Um, and it was the weather was fickle. It was changeable. The swell was pretty strong. Um, it was a challenge. Um it was a great event, a huge crowd, about 15 boards, about 20 dogs. It was just wonderful. <laughs> but I didn't read the conditions well, and I'm so bad. I, I feel terrible because we got slammed on a few waves, and poor Spike. Um, 
we got dumped on a few waves. Spike ended up um, in the rip. You know, I was chasing him in the rip. Um, we caught a few waves. It was great. It was a wonderful experience. But Spike, he was a bit over it. He dived <laughs> off the board and tried to run through the crowd and go to the cafes <laughs> in, in Hastings Street. <laughs> It was, it was so, quite funny. Yeah, it sounds so. like a very smart move to He's make. a smart dog, you know. Yeah. He's one step ahead. What and, did you do at that point when, when he took off? Oh, I tried to chase him, but yeah. I was tangled up in my leg rope. Oh, was around right. the board. Oh, uh, so it was quite dramatic. But <laughs> we had fun. And it was a wonderful experience. And um, it's part of a wonderful surfing festival, the Noosa Festival of Surfing, a big community event. Um, many surfers of all generations now the women's surfing is really taking off so it's under 15s under 18s mums and they're all competing and people on the international circuit it's wonderful it was internationals women's day at the time there was a great community thing happening up there and in the dog surfing it draws a fantastic crowd. It's a big family event. A um, uh, couple of local girls, Opal, Lily, and their lovely little pug dog, Freddie, won the event, and it's just fantastic. It's a generational <laughs> a thing. A pug won the surfing event. Well, on the surfboard, they were fantastic. They Amazing. Really, they read the... The conditions really well and they styled and it was great. Are we talking long boards or? Long boards, yeah. big boards, yeah. So a pug's got plenty of room to run around. Oh, yeah, and look, like, if it, if and it, no it falls off, won. if it falls <laughs> off, it probably just like bobs like a little cork. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I imagine. But it was great. And um, perhaps it was Spikey's last time, I don't know. I'm training okay. up another dog that's got challenges. The dog's got attitude. Okay. Um, you know, um, Which is good or bad? <laughs> oh. Hard work, cabin boy. It's hard work. <laughs> they'll be dropping in. Yeah. <laughs> or pu- pushing me off the board for sure. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the scene for us? So you've mentioned the, the yes. winners, but um, I'm sort of picturing, is it anything a bit, I don't know if you've seen Best in Show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is it kind of like... Oh, a little bit different to yeah, that. It's, I, it's not, it's it not fiercely competitive, but the, the dogs get excited. The dogs are kind of... Um, they really get in the vibe of the excitement and being the centre of attention. There's thousands of people there. It's beautiful sunny weather, but there was some you know, wind and rain. But the dogs are the centre of attention. They Some of the dogs are doing tricks, um, you know, jumping in the air, doing flips, you know, jumping on people's backs, chasing the frisbee, but... Not Spike. No, he just—he's he, he too just, chill. He just laid on his back. Um, I gave him a massage. He had his legs in the air and just kind of said, "I'm over this." Uh, <laughs> time, for, time for a timer. Let's get out in the water. Yeah. yeah. Um, will you go back again? I'd love to. It's just such a wonderful experience, and I encourage other people to do it. It's a great family experience. Get. You know, get your family, get your board, get your dog and just go north. It's just a great experience. And what would your advice be for people who've got dogs who maybe do a bit of stand-up paddle boarding themselves yeah. or, or thinking, yeah, this is something I'd love to do with my dog but I just have no idea where to start. I'm maybe one of those about people. safety issues. I'd yeah. love yeah. to teach eco-dog Loki how to surf. Yeah, he loves the water. It, it, it's a great thing to do. Normally, a dog will follow what you do. If you are calm, the dog will do it. Um, that's the best start. And calm water... Flat water's the way to start. If you're nervous, the dog will get nervous. Mm. But the dog needs a board with grip uh, for a start. If there's no grip, um, the dog will slide and get nervous. Um, A buoyancy vest, 
is a good thing. Um, Spike doesn't need one. Um, he's a good swimmer, good diver. But normally dogs, it's also a bit of protection for them. And we've got cold water too in the winter. It gives them a bit of protection. But you can practice. There's ways to do it. There's techniques just to familiarise your dog with being on the board. If it means being on the sand and walking across your board, giving them treats, um, then stopping and standing on the board, leaving the dog, giving them a treat. They get used to the feel of the board. They know that's normal. Out in the surf, that's a little bit different. Things yeah. get random. <laughs> um, but but they learn. Yeah. You know. Can you see the potential emergence of a dog surfing club? I would in, hope so, yeah. Let's, particularly locally? Let's start it, Bron. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's do it. Let's do it. And uh, I can see a line of doggy wetsuits coming out too. Oh, <laughs> Cabin boy, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah. Get under it. Excellent. Yeah. Rob, thanks so much for coming in. It's Thank been a joy. You. We'll give you a quick plug for your book again, Spike Surfs. It's called Spike Surfs. It's a story of uh, Spike, his uh, coming from the lost dog's home, becoming a surf champ. It's a true story. It's all pictorial, published by Wild Dog Books, wdogbooks.com.au. 50% of the royalties go to the lost dogs home um it's a great story it makes you smile and um thank you for the opportunity to come oh, in and as talk do to you, you today as do you and as do spike we've already put the links to that on our facebook page but we shall do so again thanks so much for coming in rob thank you it's been wonderful Bron- thanks spike thank you, thanks spike. <laughs> Cabin yeah. boy. time for a puppuccino <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we've just been speaking with rob lorenz and and uh, yeah wonderful stuff we'll put some more links to that on our facebook page Comic legends Colin Lane and Frank Woodley have been making people laugh as Lano and Woodley for nearly three decades, starting out in 1993 at Melbourne's Prince Patrick Hotel and becoming a household name with their TV show The Adventures of Lano and Woodley. For the 2022 Melbourne International Comedy Festival, Lano and Woodley have dropped the anchor, set sail and taken on the big seas of Herman Melville's Moby Dick, widely regarded as one of the greatest stories ever told. First published in 1851, Moby Dick is the story of sea captain Ahab, obsessed with finding and taking revenge on the great white sperm whale responsible for the loss of his leg. Moby Dick is a 600-page saga of adventure, revenge, madness, religion and the fury and majesty of nature. To tell us about how they've created a sketch comedy show from what D.H. Lawrence referred to as one of the greatest and strangest and wonderful books in the world – and the greatest book of the sea ever written. It's an absolute joy to welcome to Triple R, Colin Lane and Frank Woodley. Good morning, Lano. Good morning, Woodley. Welcome to Triple R. Hello, well, thanks for having us. very good morning, very good afternoon, very good evening, whenever you're listening to this. Thanks for having us. Well, but unfortunately, right. that introduction was so long, we have to leave now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it covers everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So check out Lano and Woodley at the Comedy Theatre and uh, we'll see you there. No, but, uh, but compelling, compelling introduction. Why Moby Dick? Why are you doing this for the Comedy Festival this year? Well, because we heard that this particular program only has guests who have sea-based um, <laughs> content in their show, and we've wanted to be a guest on this show for so long, and we thought, well, we've finally got to do something that's about the ocean. Yes. So have a song. You suck. Um, <laughs> uh, I read Moby Dick during lockdown because it was a perfect length book to, to read um, over those days in, in Melbourne lockdown. And last show we did was uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright, the Wright brothers and their invention of the aeroplane. And that seemed to go well. It was a period piece. And then this time, I think me or Frank said, why don't we do it like a classic novel? And I said, well, what about Moby Dick? Because I've just read Moby Dick. And Frank went, sure. 
No, and didn't the, I and say, the, what the, about um, Fifty Shades of Grey? Because I've just read <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. And you're like, nah, maybe. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, unfortunately the answer to that question isn't that interesting. It was just that it's, it's, a, it's a hugely classic novel and I guess there's, there's two main characters. You know, there's Captain Ahab and the whale. And, spoiler alert, I'm not playing the whale in the show. Uh, Captain Ahab's nemesis was the whale and Colin Lane's nemesis <laughs> is the guy sitting uh, next to me. So uh, there's similarities in... Um, the, show, the show may possibly end with Cole chasing me around the stage with a harpoon. <laughs> it could be the first ever comedy festival that in, involves snuff comedy. Um, I might actually physically kill Frank on, on stage. It, one one well, night I only. Ahab doesn't kill Moby Dick, though. Does he? No, he doesn't. No. Or is that did a spoiler? You, did you know that, Sorry, Bron? I've ruined Did the... you know that, Bron? That the, the, you, well, of course, you've read it. A long time ago. Yes. But yeah. I assumed, Frank, that you were playing Ishmael. Um, the way that we ended up doing it is that Cole, because the Ishmael, you know, it's, look, it's sort of an interesting book in that Ishmael is the narrator, but he doesn't have any impact on the story whatsoever. He doesn't do, nothing really happens with, with that character. So we ended up doing it that it's like Cole is the storyteller, so he's sort of assuming the role of Ishmael, and my ADHD tendencies just completely derail his attempt to tell this classic novel, and then <laughs> as the conflict between us escalates, it mirrors the conflict in the, in the novel, basically. There's a theory about Indiana Jones that the character of Indiana Jones actually is completely irrelevant to the story because if he wasn't present, the ending would be exactly the same. Right. So is this how you've taken on Moby Dick? Well, that, that is the thing. I mean, the, the book Moby Dick, I, I hadn't read it until Cole, until we decided to do it, but I had seen the film with, with uh, Gregory Peck, the 19, I think it's a 1952 film or something like that, and loved that when I was a kid. And so I knew the basic story and I, instantly we went, oh, yeah, we, we could make this, this work. This will be a fun work. World to to venture into, but then uh, when what was your question again? I'm sorry, I haven't had quite as much sleep as I would have liked to have had. Um, um, well, initially it was I assumed you were going to be playing Ishmael, but then you made the point, of course, that Ishmael's almost irrelevant to the story. He's the narrator. Yes, and uh, it's so a, it's a very base. Sorry, Francis. That's all right. It's, a, it's, still... a, it's a very basic conceptual thing with the story. It's like I'm going to write this story about this amazing adventure. But logically, how can I say that the story was told? So I have to invent a character that survives survives the tale. So in some ways, Ishmael is the one of the most famous kind of characters in literature. But if Ishmael was, just never born, was never born, the, the story of Moby Dick would still exist. And it's kind of a weird story in a way because when we, we both read it and then we had, a, you know, 100,000... Um, raves about it. How will we turn it into a into a comedy show? And we kind of came at it came at it from all different angles. But the actual story is kind of an anti-story because it's seven hundred pages, but nothing really happens. What at the start it becomes established that um, Ahab's had his leg bitten off by the the whale, and it's sort of turned him. He's gone mad as a result and he's, he's, it's affected his pride in such a way that his whole life re revolves around getting revenge against this, this particular whale. And then the crew, quite early on in the book, the crew become aware, you know, this is just like a doomsday mission. That's, it's going to go terribly wrong. Uh, but they don't do anything about it. It's like a kind of a story about non-action in a way. And you know what's going to happen 
And then for for six hundred and fifty pages, it's it's about them not doing anything about it, and then it's, it happens. It's so kind of it's kind of weird that in those times around Herman Melville writing the most you know one of the most famous American novels of all time, nobody knew the word edit because it could have been a pamphlet, but it, that it could, suits us. It could have been it could have been two or three hundred pages. I mean, as you I don't know how long ago did you read it, Bron? Probably twenty years ago. Yeah, so there's seven hundred pages. There's a hundred pages on how white is actually a very evil colour. There's a hundred pages on the eye of a whale. There's seventy pages on uh, faith, religion. There's hundred and fifty thousand pages on the anatomy of a whale, the mechanics of oceans and tides and moons, and so it's so. It's it's a bit. I mean, in some ways, we've just dug our own grave again because in the right in the Wright brothers, you know, they they try and invent an aeroplane and then they invent an aeroplane. There's no there's no Obstacles relationship issues or-, or death or wars or anything. And then in Moby Dick, you know, he wants to go and get this whale and then he goes and tries to fight the whale. And but, you know, but luckily we. Um the nature of the thing is we just needed a big central conflict like that and then really, look, if you're studying Moby Dick at university, don't come along to this show expecting <laughs> to get insights because, for example, there's a scene in the in the book where um, they think they, they see something white in the water from the um, crow's nest and uh, they all get excited, maybe it's Moby Dick, but it turns out it's just a massive white squid in the water and then he does 70 pages about squids, <laughs> yeah. probably. Um <laughs> But in our show, that just turns into a little game show called Squid in a Box Against the Clock, where Col gets dressed in a Velcro onesie, and then we've made this massive Velcro squid that, that I just stick all over him, and then he spends the next three minutes just trying to get it off him. And so it's not really, like, I don't know thematically how It's that, not allegorical. Yeah, how that, <laughs> how that relates to... Uh, my, you know, I've been doing radio novel. interviews for about 25, 30 years, and I've never used the word allegorical. Oh, but I'm pretty excited. <laughs> it's a first here. Yeah. yeah. The show's been described as your most ambitious show yet. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair description? Well, we came up with that sentence, so, um, <laughs> you know, to try and sell tickets. Uh, look, we, have, we try to make um, shows that are... Like highly theatrically engaging, so so we have we've made a big set that that does particular things that is like a, a sailcloth on the ship, and and we have tried to weave in various themes and have them um, develop through the show, and you know we've we've worked really hard on trying to make it good. <laughs> We're hoping that it's going to be really good and visually really striking as well. We've got we've made a whole lot of these sort of artistic animations that get projected on the, on the screen. You know, like right from the start, we're going, oh, look, how are we going to represent this massive... The whole thing is that there's this looming presence of this massive white whale that we know it will be sort of... Um, won't be able to be defeated, you know. It's this massive uh, thing, beast. So how will we recreate that experience for the audience in a theatre and we've partly done it with a big big thing with the set and so so it's not just two guys standing on stage making jokes into a microphone which when it's done well there's nothing better than that so I'm not you know I'm not criticizing that but but this is definitely a theatrical experience. How did you go about making the squid costume? We got a professional involved right. on this occasion and and we did it, it was kind of interesting that we um you know, when people watch it, it's an interesting thing with, with comedy that 
you want them to just feel like it's just silly nonsense that nobody you don't really care about. You you don't want if they get a sniff that you're taking it seriously, well that kills the whole thing. But actually to make this squid routine work, we had to You have get, to take it really seriously. We had to get a prototype built, you know, and then that didn't really work and we got a professional prop maker to, you know, who's this woman called Martel who did has done an incredible job and you know, there's like three different drafts on it and then ultimately in fact it was only last night when we did a trial show last night that the the final squid got its stage time and it was just wonderful to see. But but that's the weird kind of uh, element of comedy, isn't it? That people want the audience to think that you're just kind of making it up on the spot, not with what we do, but with kind of stand-up comedy. You want people to think that it's just coming out really naturally as if you're just making it up on the spot. So you want the audience to think that you're really relaxed, but at the same time, the audience in the back of their brain goes, I could never do that, but I'm sure it must be easy because it look it looks easy. Yeah, surely anybody so, could so, just so, get up there. So and it just must crap be on. easy. So it's we we try and yeah, exactly what Frank said. We we want people to think that it's stupid, silly nonsense. But it's taken us, you know, nine months. months to actually come <laughs> yeah. up with the final hour of stupid, silly nonsense. And it's about people relating to it as well, like the the that little piece in Fly where you're dressed up as the fly, where. You, you are the fly. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I'm assuming you've done the same sort of thing with the squid and being able to really get into that mode. Because everybody's been annoyed by a fly yes. and everybody's been annoyed by a squid. You know, it's, it's, it's like a very, very similar routine. You know, we, you know, we've all been at home and the squid comes in and, you know, there's legs everywhere and, you know, there's, you know, squid ink all over the walls and, you know, we've all been there. But, but the fly is a good example of how with lots of comedy, you know, there's this development in comedy now, which once again, I really appreciate this, but where people talk about comedy is about talking truth to power. And is it, it, who says and, that? You've heard, you've heard people say only that. Only you saying you? it, but I so, thought that you were the only weirdo. So, which is a fantastic aspect of comedy. Yeah. Um, but there's another thing of comedy, a part of the value of comedy. I think. I which don't is, think that people do that kind of comedy are weirdos. I don't. I don't think. No, that I don't think that. You know, just a back. I, I can't back, even remember what I, what I said a moment ago. So I, I don't even um, remember who you are. But you've changed. But finding you? a what tiny little thing. Take the mask off. Go. What's the question? I, I can't. Yeah, I can't remember the okay, question. Okay, so he's now. not Ishmael. I think that's what we've um, um, established, d- deduced, is that Frank is not Ishmael. I was saying that that is one way that people talk about comedy and elevate comedy as being an important cultural, artistic thing to offer. You know, but actually, a lot of comedy is about taking some tiny little irritation. Part of the pleasure is that it's not really worthy of turning into a piece of art. But that's the fun of it, that you take some tiny little thing and you, f- you try to find where is the, you know, the value and the beauty in some, like a fly, buzzing around you. And I, I love doing that with, in, in Lane and Woodley, a big part of the thing is just finding little things in a relationship the little irritations and then elevating them to something yeah, fi- major. Finding that crack and turning it into a chasm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about Ishmael and in the story of Moby Dick, he becomes entranced by Ahab's drive and, you know, to find that whale. And I'm wondering about how their relationship relates to yours as it's drawn out in your show. 
that sort of connection and influence, to, is that something that's carried through to your interpretation of the story? It's a bit like a frog in a pot. It, it slowly boils to death. And everybody kind of knows what's happening, but they can't do anything to stop it. And so in some ways, that's the fascination with the audience watching Cole going, well, you know what's going to happen. And you just you kind of just let it happen, even though you know deep down that you shouldn't let it happen. But you just you just let it happen like every other show. And I guess Ishmael and the crew are a bit like that. Just slowly but surely, they 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 don't realise until it's too late, or they kind of know in the deep the back of their mind that it's all going to end in tears. But there's nothing they can do about it. Because in our version, really, Cole is playing Ishmael and Ahab more than. I'm, it's not like one of us is is playing. Yeah, right. You know, so so he's he's describing Ahab as Ishmael and being in awe of Ahab. There's a scene where we where we do do that, but then he kind of morphs within the Lano Woodley world. He is Ahab, and he's got this great desire to produce a theatrical performance. But I've sort of inj- I'm the the nemesis for him. That's that's injured him psychologically. And we even sort of do a thing a little bit like in the book where the crew, there's a scene where in, in the book where Starbuck is trying to get the crew to mutiny, but they're just sort of... Um, they're paralysed. So, they're paralysed by convention, you know, and they can't bring themselves to do that taboo, even though they can see it happening. And we try to get the... Cole tries to get the audience to mutiny against me and uh, or which do is, I try to do it against you? I can't even remember. Which now. is, you know, you could you could draw parallels with, you know, how we live our lives. You know, the the I don't want to get all political or anything, but you know, the, they are paralysed by convention, and the honourable thing is to do what the captain says. You know, no matter how how it's filled with stupidity or or it's um, end revenge, in disaster. You, you just know it's all going to end in tears. But you just have to follow the captain because the captain has been appointed captain. So the honourable thing is to follow his or her lead. You and, know? and who's the captain here? Uh, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I, see, that, that's the thing. If, if, if you play, they say that if you're playing poker and you don't know who the, who the, who the stooge is, then, then it's you, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I'm hoping that you're the captain because <laughs> Frank and I are, are still uh, just following our noses. We're hoping with some, for, for some direction from you, Bron, <laughs> to get our career on track. After all these years, I don't help think us! Me for that. Come on. Any last things you'd like to let our listeners know about Moby Dick and why they should come and see it? I think you've probably sold it well and truly, but any, any other well, last things know. you'd I like to say? I feel like we haven't, we've done the opposite. We've <laughs> come in here and we've discouraged <laughs> people from coming. We've, uh, we've, we've caused you to have your lowest audiences over the last 25 years. People just going, oh, <laughs> Jesus, listen to Frank and Cole crap on. Um, we... Look, we did a trial. Oh, the best thing I can say is we did a trial show, you know, last night, and people, the people who were there, they seemed to laugh at the start and then laugh in the middle and laugh at the end quite a bit. I think two, they... I think two things. <laughs> one, one is it's not it's not stand up. It's not, and I I think stand up is great and clever, and a lot of the stand ups around Australia and the world are saying some really good stuff and interesting stuff about life, but also, you know, not life, just stupid, stupid stuff. But this is a theatrical experience with set and lights and smoke and music and projections and and it, it's funny, but it's on a it's comedy on a grand scale. And second of all, I don't think I think that we're perhaps the only I haven't researched this, but I reckon we are the only comedy festival show there is that whereas there is not one joke about COVID. So if you want an hour, hour and 10 minutes of 
you know, zero COVID jokes, then and a pure escape from and just come into Lan and Woodley world, you know, it, it, it's, COVID free. it's COVID free. We haven't got COVID and also there's no COVID jokes. And I do feel pretty confident that we're probably the only show that's got a giant squid on stage as well. <laughs> so yeah. they're, they're two things that you're into. Yeah. It sounds like the biggest reason to me. <laughs> I'm speaking with Lano and Woodley about their show Moby Dick for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It starts March 31st, runs until April 24th. When you kick off a national tour, you're taking this all around the country. That's yeah, the we plan. sure are. Absolutely. We're riding this squid all around the nation. <laughs> <laughs> Is it age restricted or can anyone go? Well, look, there's, there's a few F-bombs here and there, but it's not... I mean, I, can't, I don't really want to swear on Triple R, but although maybe I can um, for the first time ever. You know... There's nothing in the show that is that a ch- if a child can be traumatised by in the you know or it's not like aggressive it's, swearing. It's just know. you know I might call Frank an f wit, but I'm not going. The world is full of f wits. You know I'm I'm calling him you know names, but it's it's all just good fun. And any thoughts on what you might tackle next? You've gone from the Wright brothers the to the Hobbit. The Hobbit. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Or if we want to come on this show, um, I don't know, Jaws yeah. or um, uh, a theatrical version of um, the riv- A River Somewhere or... Um, 20,000 Leagues Under 20, the Sea. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I don't know. Yeah. Cape Fear. Cape Fear. Gee. <laughs> See, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit of a scaredy cat and I can't even watch that film. I can't even read the book, watch the film because, uh, yeah, it's all Robert De Niro. Oh. You know, so um, I don't know what happens next. The Bible. Ooh. The Quran. Ooh. Sure. <laughs> next, next, next comedy festival will be presenting our version of the Quran. Yeah. <laughs> and on that bombshell. Lane and Woodley, Con Lane, Frank Woodley, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bron. It's been Good an absolute you, pleasure. Love you. This is Dick Ziggin, the permanently unelected mayor of Coney Island, and when I'm in Melville, I listen to Radio Marinara at 3 Triple R. It's Melbourne, but that's okay. Okay. One more try. Melbourne. Okay. Hi, it's Dick Ziggin. I'm the permanently unelected mayor of Coney Island in New York, and whenever I'm in Melvin, I listen to Radio Marinara at 3 Triple R. Oh, it's a while since we've heard from Dick Ziggin. If you've, um, if you've tuned in sometime uh, in the last 20 minutes, um, we're just playing a chat that we had with uh, Leno and Woodley and we've put a link to their show on our Facebook page and I also wanted to just put out a very big thanks to uh, Triple R Talks producer Elizabeth McCarthy who uh, who produced and recorded uh, that wonderful uh, chat that we had. <laughs> 9.51, you're listening to Radio Marinara and... Uh, Cabin Boy, We've, we're going from a, a, a take on Moby Dick to um, Russian oligarchs and their yachts. Well, we're going from comedy to, well, I'm going to try and get political and not get political. Okay. Uh, yeah, because apparently there is $2.76 billion worth of super yachts that the Russians own circling the world, mainly in the Seychelles, the Bahamas and all that. And if you've seen on the news, a lot of these are getting seized or arrested. So... Maritime laws a little different to our normal law. So when they get arrested, the boats, they're often... That means that the crew can stay on board, but they can't leave the dock. So um, the crew are still leaving, and they've, the crew and the captain have still got control of the ship. If it's been seized, it means the authorities have kicked the captain and the crew off and have actually seized the boat. Now, they're doing this for a variety of reasons, all the sanctions with the Russians, but often also they've stopped the payment of uh, 
of Russian and that, and these boats own a lot of money. If they're docking at some of these docks, they're paying something like, um, I don't know, $1,000 a day just to uh, use the docking because they're actually huge. The biggest one is Dilbar, which is 512 feet in the old terms, or 160 metres, which, imagine that, 160 metres. It's and like an apartment building, nearly. Well, they're about <laughs> 10 storeys high. Wow. It is an apartment building, wow. Yeah, about $600 million for just one boat. And these boats, they'll have a crew of like 32 on them for 12 guests. So it's just ridiculous. Um, now, some of the vessels have been in dry dock too. So uh, there's work being carried on them and the crew and the, uh, the workers aren't getting paid. So that's why the boats are getting seized. I don't know where it'll go. What do you do? How do you do a second-hand super yacht? Well, who do you sell it to? So there's not too many around. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> it, it will be a problem. Look, if you can give me a good discount, I'll think about it. Well, as I said, $1,000 a day to moor it. It probably would be good, yeah. I think also a lot of these owners don't go on their boats. I think that you can charter them out for some ridiculous, you know, thing for the week and impress all your friends. And the other thing that's happening is Lloyd's Register, which is Lloyd's of London. You always hear there that that impressive... They're actually a brokerage firm. They're not an insurance firm. So Lloyd's of London is just a group of brokerage uh, brokers getting together, offering insurance for all kinds of things. And they've pulled the insurance. So with no insurance... The, uh, the boats can't dock anywhere because if you go to a marina, you need to show your insurance and all your seaworthiness and that. With no insurance, they can't pull up and refuel. And these boats take thousands and thousands of litres of fuel. So there's quite a few out there just, you know, going on five knots or something, trying to get somewhere, not pull in because they know their boat will be seized. And they've turned off their uh, GPS tracker too, so no one knows where they are. And, of course, they can't just you know, drop anchor because they're going to run out of food and water pretty quickly, aren't they? Well, that's the thing. And also you, you think it's all glamorous when they pull up to the med and all that, but they've got to anchor out about five kilometres out because of the depth of the water and that. So they've got all these little runabouts that are like 50 foot that probably cost half a house or something running all the guests back and forth. And so that's a problem. And the, it's going to go on because most of the um, crew and the captains are British, so manning the ship. So... They're going to get kicked out. They're going to lose all their jobs. And often they can't. Sometimes when you get on a boat, the uh, captain holds the your passport. So you can't often get off because you've signed on for a certain amount of time. So there's all kinds of trouble happening there. And it's also happening in the aviation industry also. Maritime law is completely different. With that evergreen, you know, the one that ran um, aground in the Suez Canal, mm. those crew were stuck on those boats. And for months and months because they signed on and they've got no rights to get off that boat. So they were almost prisoners. That's kind of outrageous that in every other place, if somebody seized your, like was holding your passport for you, that that is completely illegal. Yeah. Well, there is a story of um, some boat got, I don't know, some ship and they've left the skeleton crew on and they are stuck on that boat. No, you know, the the companies wiped them and the locals were actually bringing um, supplies out to them with their own boat because they didn't have any food or supplies and they can't get off the boat because they've got no passport to get home. Wow. So it's pretty amazing. If you do have a super yacht and you are in <laughs> Melbourne, you can dock at the Melbourne City Marina. They have a super yacht uh, docking facility. Really? 
Only to 50 metres, though. Oh, right. oh bugger. Well, that, that doesn't apply to most of our listeners then. No. <laughs> and I did look it up. It's 50,000 per annum if you want to put your super yacht, well, your mini super yacht there because, uh, you know, we're not in the same uh, category as the uh, Russian oligarchs. Or um, it worked out to about 10 metres per day, so it worked that out, and that's quite expensive. When I was down the, um, the docklands at the marina last time, there was a big boat there called Texas, and I always said if I ever won Tats Lotto, I would get a slightly bigger boat and call it Bigger Than and park it next to it. <laughs> bigger Than Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you've you got to, you know, because it, it is all about one-upmanship with these boats and they are just amazing. So, yeah. So... Yeah, if you are a Russian oligarch, don't go into a dock. Yeah, look at your insurance policy and just be very, very careful when you're uh, sailing around out there. Good advice for all the Russian oligarchs listening to Radio Marinara this morning. (laughs) We might need to translate this in Russian. Well, I was going to say I'm going to take my uh, YouTube uh, kind of law degree hat off now because, uh, yeah... (laughs) What, what classifies it as a super yacht? Like, is it the value, how much it costs to build? I guess so, and also the length too. And a right. lot, look, if you're, um, if you're in front of a computer, look up Sailing Yacht A. It's a oh, yes. Philip Stark design boat. He did the outside what? and the inside. Yeah, I don't think he did all the, the hull and all that. It is one of the ugliest boats out there. <laughs> It was, um, yeah, something like $800 million to build. And he's got another one called Motor Yacht A, which looks like an aircraft carrier. Is is sailing yacht, is sailing, that's the one with the three. The three masts. So, and so it does actually sail? I've never seen it under sail. I've always seen it moored somewhere. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's like a big wedge with three huge masts yeah. and... Um, uh, it's just uh, every time it comes up, everyone says, oh, that's so ugly. So, yeah. <laughs> but he loves it. Philip Stark designed it. And as I said, there's Motor Yacht A also. So uh, wow. there's quite a few out there. Good grief. Uh, and as I said, it's they are called yachts even if they are motor because they um, are privately owned. They're not a workboat. So don't get confused with the yacht when it's also a, can be a motor yacht. Where do you reckon this one will end, Captain Boyd? I don't know, because who buys a second-hand super yacht? It comes back to that, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. I'm going to put in a bid if it ever comes up on eBay, because you just may pick <laughs> up a bargain. You just never know. First a tank, then the, then the yeah. super yacht. And I reckon look out for some aeroplanes, too, because they'll be going pretty cheap, too, just to fly to your super yacht. Oh, my God. It's now my dream for you to have a, a super yacht <laughs> called Bigger Than Texas. <laughs> And Captain Cabin Boy. <laughs> yes. Hey, thanks, Cabin Boy. Pleasure. Thank you, Farm. Thank you. Thank you, Nerida, very much. And uh, thanks again to Elizabeth. Uh, thanks to our guests today, Lane Owen Woodley and uh, Rob Lorenzen and Spike. A ton of stuff already up on our Facebook page. If you go to the, the entry for today's show and click on the photos, you'll see those links through. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.